The scripture for today's sermon comes from John 4, 7 to 26. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that you that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of God to us. Uh, well, man, I'm glad to get to be with you guys. And, uh, I've gotten to be here at South quite a few times over the last six months for various reasons and uh, really do have a lot of affection for all of Frontline Church, but a lot for you guys as well. And we have been in the Renewal Series for the last few weeks. And uh, just, to, just to catch you up, what, what we're asking for is for God to refresh us, for God to renew us, for God to revive us. And he's given us all these graces to get us there. He's given us the beauty of the gospel. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us all kinds of graces to get refreshed over and over and over. I've now walked with God for about 30 years, and uh, every, every season that goes by, I can't, I can't even say how many times I've had to stop and go, God, revive me, revive me, renew me, restore me, over and over and over again. So if you find yourself today in a place of like, man, I desire everything but God, I would say that's very, very normal 
But the fight is to get all of our desires moving toward God. And we can kind of posture ourselves for that, but we can't make it happen. And so over and over and over, what you're doing when you show up on Sunday every week is to go, I'm posturing myself again. I'm posturing myself again. And year after year goes by. And you look back and you find, I've been renewed. I've been refreshed. I've suffered. I've been renewed. I've been refreshed. I feel like I'm the dark night of the soul. I've been renewed. I've been refreshed over and over and over again. And so what I want to do is try to take any pressure out of the air and just invite you to come in and just be a human. The word welcome, when you say, come in, be welcome, it just means be welcome. Come in, be well. And so I want you guys to come in this space. For the next two or three hours, I'll be talking through this passage, (laughs) and I want you just to uh, relax and uh, be a human being. And I want you to tap into all your desires, all your dysfunctional desires, all of your story that's got nooks and crannies in it that no one has seen yet, uh, every, every disordered desire that's going this way and that, but also all of your desires for Jesus. Maybe things that have been lost over time. Maybe things that are present now. Maybe things that you're desiring to come. I'm in a place where I've just been kind of pacing myself for quite a, for, for quite a few uh, months now. And I'm in a new place. And I'm trying to hang on to this new place of saying, God, I, I need you. I desire you. I want you. Come and meet me. And I'm saying it over and over again. I wake up in the morning and I immediately feel tired of kind of the battle. And then I say, Jesus, you actually have given me everything I need to battle today. Help me to do that with you. And so I'm inviting you guys to just let your shoulders down and come in and be well and uh, be a human. Be where you are. And then together, from right where we are, wherever that is, whether, whether you drug yourself in here this morning or you've galloped in here, I don't know. I couldn't think of a word off the top of my head. Gallop sounds pretty good. Uh, whether you drug yourself in here or galloped in here, um, we're all moving toward the same person of Jesus Christ. In Christian worship, he is the center of this room. He's the focus. He's the one we're looking to. He's the one that we want to form us and shape us. So a quick introduction of myself. My name is Charlie. Andrew introduced me very kindly. I appreciate that. Um, I've lived in uh, Oklahoma for 40 years, which is crazy because I just turned 25. And um, um, my... uh, my, my church story, as I like to call it, because you can find out a lot about people this way, but I'm going to do a real quick church story, and you guys will be able to kind of go, oh, I bet that, I bet that, I bet that, I wonder that. But I grew up in a traditional uh, Baptist church, and uh, grew up there until I was about 12 or 13, and then I took the next year, six years off to kind of do whatever I wanted to do. <laughs> and, uh, but I grew up, you know, in this traditional church, and I learned the Word of God, and it got invested in me in a really beautiful way. And uh, I love that place. And around my um, 17th year of living, I'm um, not sure why I said it like that. When I turned 17, uh, God reached down and he completely converted my life. He saved me um, from top to bottom. And I was just full of desire, full of passion. Um, I could not speak loudly enough about him. I could not speak enough about him. And uh, along that journey, uh, I got... Um, um, in, engaged in a little group that would just pray and worship and fast, pray and worship and fast. And we would, I'd start to lead worship and we would see the craziest things go on in the room. And uh, full bore charismatic. Some of you just got excited and some of you were like, no, 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 I don't know. Um, but I mean full bore charismatic. <laughs> Whatever you think that means, that's what we were. Um, so uh, 
I lived in that world for a while. That stabilized as a church, and uh, I was a youth pastor there for a while, um, and uh, the worship pastor there. All the while, I was kind of traveling itinerantly as well, and it was in that church in the 12th year that I'd been engaged there that I felt like life fell apart. I actually didn't just feel like it. It actually did. I'm an Enneagram 4, so sometimes I feel things that aren't real, but... uh, (laughs) Life literally fell apart, and I sat in the back row of this church that I'd helped plant with my five-year-old son and my four-year-old daughter, and I sat back while people stood and worshipped, and I resented them. I resented them for being excited about Jesus while I was suffering. I was resentful of the church for, you know, I just put all kinds of marks on this place and on these people. I had done it when I was a kid, when I left my little traditional Baptist church. And so it was in that time that I took a couple years and I decided I'm just going to be a human that loves Jesus. I don't need Jesus' people. I don't need the church. They're actually part of the problem. It doesn't make sense anymore. And I took a couple years away. And at the end of that couple years, I was like, I need church. I need Jesus. I need Jesus' people. I feel like I'm falling apart. And I don't look like I'm falling apart, but I sure feel like I'm falling apart. And uh, I decided, oh, you know what? You know what would be good and safe is the Episcopal Church. And so I entered the Episcopal Church, and uh, I engaged the Book of Common Prayer. It was powerful. It was beautiful. I could tell you story after story of things that those pre-written prayers had done in my heart. It was amazing. I thought for a short time I was going to be a priest, and uh, I I don't know where that would have gone, but I'm sure it would have been a really great one. Cool colors. I probably would have done a different color in the middle, though. Um, So I I thought for a time I'd be a priest, and then um, I started to get to the end of myself again. I was like, I need need Jesus. I need his people. And I had said a lot of bad things about the church, you know, not necessarily out loud, but a lot in my heart. And uh, I had a little studio downtown uh, that we worked in and recorded in, and catty corner from that, there 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 was this church, and People outside would smoke, and they would have tattoos, and I thought, well, maybe I could go there. That looks, that looks like me. Uh, so I started going there, and, and literally, I, uh, I stepped in that place about the third or fourth time, and I, I kind of launched myself on the back row, again, on the back row, love that back row, and I metaphorically unzipped my chest, and I said, God, you're going to have to help me love your people. You're going to have to help me love you. I need your help. And that was about 10 years ago. And I've been on this journey with you guys for the last 10 years. And I'm really grateful for it. Um, uh, during that time, I was uh, 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 remarried and we've been blending a family with Sarah and I. Just by making that statement, you can make a lot of conclusions on some of the most difficult parts of my life. But um, we've been blending a, a family the last uh, few years and loving it. I've got an um, almost 20-year-old uh, that's graduated. I'm glad you know he's graduated because... That would have been weird if he's still in high school and not graduated. He was touch and go there for a second. Um, and then I've got a, an 18-year-old daughter that just graduated. I've got a bonus daughter that's almost 15. And then my amazing young daughter, Bella, who's 10, almost 11. And uh, when my 18-year-old daughter was about three, because um, we all started at a young age and then get older, uh, when she was about three... We were at the Omniplex. If you, does anyone know what the Omniplex is? Science Museum now, they call it. <laughs> Whatever. When I was growing up, we were a lot more complex. Um, so we were at the Omniplex, and uh, we were watching their little show on the dome about the stars. 
and uh, you know, and we're, they, they talk about the stars and different, different shapes and different constellations, and then they kind of pause and let you look, and in every pause, my three-year-old daughter, who's now 18, would be, she would say, bored! <laughs> and, uh, you know, as a dad, you're, you're partially like, if you know me, you, you think, he's probably encouraged by that. And I was, I was super encouraged, I was like, she's on the right track. <laughs> um, but also, you're like, oh, I better, like, say the right thing, and hey, don't do that when everyone's quiet. <laughs> uh, but every time the lady would pause in this little, in this little uh, show, my daughter would be like, bored. And uh, I think of my journey in the church and the times that I've said, I've watched people sing songs and I think I'm, I'm bored. I think of like when I was growing up in the, my little Baptist church and I can literally remember a time where I watched people and I was like, this is boring and uh, I can remember being in my, uh, my, my charismatic, then blend, you know, blended worship church, and I thought, I'm in too much pain, this is boring, you know. And so what, I, what I'd like to do is, is talk about how worship, the way that many of us worship is a picture of a picture of a picture of a picture. And we have forgotten that we're not just singing songs, or we're not just showing up to church, we have forgotten the very center and core uh, of our worship is Jesus Christ, and not just the ideas of Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ himself, the experience of Jesus Christ and who he is and all he is and all that's come from his life. And to come in this place and to go, we're going to sing songs and then we're going to shake some hands and we're going to listen to this sermon. You know, hopefully Andrew's got his game on this morning and then um, hopefully Brandon's mustache is on fire today. And... Uh, and then we're going to leave. But to remember that every time we come in this space, that the center of our worship is Jesus, the Son of God, and the experience of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the preaching of the word and the singing of the songs and the taking of the feast, that Jesus Christ is lifted and center is going to change everything. Because if this is just a building with people in it, that is boring. That's just a picture of a picture of a picture if the way you worship is by watching YouTube videos and how people worship when there's five million people in a room, that's, this is going to be boring to you. But if you understand that no matter how many people are in this room, that Jesus Christ is the center, then you will no longer be worshiping out of a picture of a picture of a picture. And I'd love to invite you guys right now just to kind of sink in your hearts and remember all your desires for Jesus right now. And I know that during the week, they flail about. I know that you'll leave this place. You'll go to lunch. You'll get in a fight. You'll, something will happen. Your addictions will flare up. Your attachments will sink back into you. I understand all that. I've been through all that. I am in all that. But there's something about Jesus being the center of this place and this space in our lives. That is what worship is. There's this story uh, my wife was telling me that she read in this Philip Yancey book called Made in His Image uh, about a, a woman who went to the doctor because she was having trouble breathing. And the doctor says, well, you've got something connected right here to your esophagus that's restricting your breathing. And he's like, we've got to take it off. And she's like, I breathe fine. Like, I'm doing everything fine. I'm breathing. 
And the doctor says, we got to take it off. It's important. So they do the surgery. And as she heals, she comes back to the doctor. And she's like, it's amazing how much I can breathe. The breath that I can take now. I never knew I had it. I never knew it was in me. The breath, the deep breath I can have. And I think we're worshiping, not just in here, but as we live in the world, we're worshiping in a way that's completely restricted. And we think we're breathing pretty good. I'm doing okay. But once we start removing those restrictions, the breath that comes in that's worship is amazing. We need this, this living water and this life. And worship is what we do at the graveside when we bury the ones that we never meant, were meant to bury. It's what we do on battlefields. It's what we do at a wedding feast. It's what we do in the middle of cancer and, and divorce and all kinds of loss and, and blow-ups. And sometimes that worship is a song. But a majority of what we do in our life is just living around Jesus. Living out of his life and all he gives, all his grace. Sometimes it's a song. But a lot of what we do in worship is just our life. And our spirit right now is probably crying out, Father, Father, help us. We are your sons and daughters. We need your help. Worship is how we live on earth between the rebel feast where everything broke and the banquet feast for the king where everything's becoming right. He's going to wipe away every tear. How do we live down here? We try to keep pulling our life and our worship around Jesus over and over again because he has everything we need. And again, not the ideas of Jesus, but Jesus himself experiencing those ideas out of Jesus, letting those ideas bring us to Jesus, but not worshiping ideas, not worshiping songs or people or places, but Jesus himself. We are all seeking some sort of pleasure down here, and it is true. Whether you are a faithful uh, pursuer of Jesus or a prodigal or you've not put your faith in Jesus or you even hate Jesus, We are all pursuing desire and seeking pleasure. Let me read this quote from David Foster Wallace. He was a novelist. He said, In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah or Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some intangible set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where are you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die one million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being as smart as you can be, will end up feeling, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the very place of being found out. The insidious thing about these forms of worship are unconscious. They are default settings. 
They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. Freud has a principle called the pleasure principle, which is the instinctive seeking of pleasure and the avoiding of pain to satisfy biological and physiological needs. It's the driving force guiding the id. The id is the use of our personalities to satisfy urges and needs. I don't know how much you guys know about the false self and the true self and how much Andrew's unpacked that, but what the false self does is it roots itself in its own personality and how it can get its own needs met. So you don't need anything. The false self doesn't need anybody else, doesn't need anything else. It needs those things to get something. So it might be how you use humor or intellect or the way you look or the way you dress or um, your job or your car. It's, it's the false self roots itself in things that, that it can use to use other things, other people. I want to do a quote by the prophetess Ariana Grande. <laughs> and just a short portion of her song, Seven Rings. Hopefully you'll get this out of your head as I go on. Make big deposits. My gloss is popping. You like my hair? That's ironic. <laughs> Gee, thanks. Just bought it. Maybe I should buy some hair. What do you think? Mm-mm. Okay. I see it. I like it. I want it. I got 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 it. You like my hair? Gee, thanks. Just bought it. I see it. I like it. I want it. I got it. That's the pleasure principle. You ought to look up those lyrics. I mean, if you're over 18. But uh, it's, a, it's a crazy song. And this is about a person who's using their false self. God bless Ariana Grande. Uh, it's a person that's using their false self to get things to supply all their needs. And look at the beauty of the true self. The true self, made by God and for God, roots itself in God's abundance. When you think of Psalm 1611, in your presence... In God's presence, in the face of God, in Jesus, is fullness of joy, and in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That sounds so much better. I do like money, and I would like some hair. But, man, to be in God's presence, and have pleasures forevermore, life forevermore, something that this world can't offer and something that I can't get by myself, to stand in front of Jesus in his presence and say, you have everything I need. We already read the story of the woman at the well. There was something about her shame that made her go in the middle of the day to get the water. Most of the women during that time would go early in the morning, and it was like their little social time, and they would sit around and talk and get their water. There was something that made this woman come out by herself in the middle of the day where no one could see her. She didn't want to be seen. There's things to be hidden. There's nothing to talk about here. I don't want you to see me. I've got another life that you don't need to know about. And in her shame and in her hiding, she shows up and Jesus and his knowledge of her saying, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. She's, and he says, you're right. You've had four and this one right now is not yours. Jesus embraces her and his knowledge of her and she's uncovered and deeply loved simultaneously. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but that's the experience of Jesus. 
Our spouses can come close to that. Our friends can come close to that. Our family can come close to that. But no one can uncover you and your sin and your shame and your hiding. And simultaneously, you feel more loved than you've ever felt before. No one can do that except for Jesus. Jesus, the picture of God right here. So he embraces her. She feels loved in his embrace. She says, I perceive you're a prophet, which is really intelligent of her. And uh, he says, yeah, you're right. And then she starts to think, okay, what can I do to magically show him, you know, I'm more than my story. You know, I'm crab walking around. I'm, I've got some theology to talk about. I'm going to talk about some eschatology and some mountains. And this is where my people went. And this is where Jacob was. And, and Jesus is like, hey, you know, you're looking for something else. I get it. You've you got some theology. But sometimes we use our theology to, void, to avoid the eyes of God, to, to avoid the eyes of Jesus. And we keep getting smarter and smarter. And we keep reading more books and more books. And all the time, our brains are getting bigger, but our eyes are avoiding the gaze of Jesus, who wants to expose us and love us simultaneously, and we just start talking about things that we know. What happens is she starts to realize, this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. He, He is the fountain of life. He's the river of living water. He is the everything that I've been looking for. He literally, as I'm experiencing him right now, I'm being transformed. I'm being completely changed right now. And she gets so changed in that short conversation that she runs into town and she starts singing her song, which her song running into town was, you have to meet the one that knows me and loves me. It was a huge song. He was out there by the well, which was maybe a football field away. She takes off into town and she's singing Without a song, you've got to meet the one that saw deep into me, that knows me right where I'm at, and that still loves me. Beholding the glory of God, we're being changed into his image. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We're spending way too much time avoiding the face of Jesus. And we're skirting everything. And what I want you to see is we fall in love with and we become like what we behold. And I'm inviting you to behold the face of Jesus again. And so what is what is worship? What is the beauty of worship? Deuteronomy, I can't even say it, I'm this age, I am. Deuteronomy 6 uh, says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Fully orbed worship, like the full thing described by God, is worshiping with our affections and our thinking and our story and our body. And so if worship to you is just singing, then you might think it's too emotional or, or too heady or too experiential or too much of a performance. You might think all those things, but if worship is heart, mind, soul, and strength, or affections, and thinking, and story, and body, then we can start to think of this in a bigger, more powerful way, and bringing all those things into our center, who is Jesus Christ, who out of him floods living water, and has everything we need, where we'll never thirst again, and fully orbed worship is powerful, it goes beyond this place right here and right now. 
There's a powerful word called anastasis, and it's the, literally the resurrection of Jesus. It also just means resurrection. And so we want to use this word to describe our rising into God's reality and the submission to his world with our affection, with our thinking, with our stories, and our body. So I'll start with the first thing, affection and heart. How do we worship with our affection and heart? We rise to God's realities to encounter God. Worship is not a cold science. Worship is longing and desire for God and his presence. There's something about stopping and going, oh, God gives us his presence all the time, freely. You don't have to do anything for it. God's presence fills the earth and his particular presence lays on his people. You don't have to do a thing for it. But what happens when we start to give him our presence? What happens when we start to give him our eyes? in our attention, in our affection. That's our affection and heart. Number two is the way we think, our mind, how we proclaim and sound and sing the story and promises and truths of God with God in view. We're not just singing about God and he's over there and we're singing to each other. We're singing with God in view. You're like this and your promises are like this and you're powerful like this. The God of our imaginations can't save anything or do anything for anyone. We can't make up a God that does stuff. And that's what we constantly do, and we can't help it. We're constantly kind of making up God. Well, what about maybe he's like this, or maybe he's like this. But the God of the Bible is sturdy and real. And when you sing of him and you sing to him about his truths and his promises, things start changing in your mind, and lies start to go away. Your heart, your mind, your soul, which is your story. Bringing and releasing our stories, our wounds, sin and weakness to God. And encountering Christ in community where God's power rests on our weakness. I, again, I grew up in a time where they would say things like, just leave your troubles at the door. I don't, they didn't say it like that. I'm not sure why I said it like that. Just leave your troubles at the door. I, they didn't say it like that either. Um, they would say, just leave your troubles at the door. We're going to pick those up later. Right now, we're just going to worship and sing. And as I've lived my life, all the ups and downs of my life, there's been a lot of beautiful things. And there's a lot of been, been a lot of days where I was hitting the roof of my car while I drove And in every moment, I needed to bring that story into this group of people while they sang the truths of God, to be reminded. And we tend to feel like, okay, well, I better keep my story out here, you know, because this is the happy, chirpy people of God. That's not who we are. We celebrate what Jesus did. When we bring ourselves, our whole selves in this place, all of our story, all of our brokenness, brokenness, weakness, sin, we can start to hear the people of God. And our story starts to get transformed. It doesn't go away. It doesn't get amputated off. It gets brought into this place where Jesus, just like the woman at the well, he can look at it and go, yeah, I see your story, but I'm living water. So that's our heart, our mind, our soul, and lastly is our strength. Our body, how we use our body. Acting towards God, and I'm going to come back to that, with ancient postures, time, talent, treasure, relationships, 
the place where passion and discipline meet and we encounter God. This is amazing. So what does acting toward mean? I love this. Uh, one day, uh, my wife was leaving uh, the house. <laughs> Not just leaving. That'd be sad. Uh, she was leaving the house, and I said, Hey, I love you. Do you hear how honest that is? So deep and honest and real. And she was running out the door, and she said, I love you. You know, it was different than that, but I'm, I'm up here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I love you. And I thought, she left, and I thought, well, that didn't seem real. You know, I seem a lot more real than she seems real. I'm an Enneagram 4, if that means anything to anybody. But I got lots of feelings. And uh, I thought, that didn't, that didn't, that's not real. What's going on? And it was that moment I was like, you know what? 99% of the time, she shows me how much she loves me in her words and actions. And I'm literally picking one time to start to develop a whole mindset and narrative that she might not love me just because she was running out the door. Acting toward means using your mind and your body to go, you know what? I believe the truth. I choose to believe the truth. When I lift my hands, it's not always because I'm impassioned with God. A lot of times it's because I feel nothing and I know that I need God. That's acting toward God. When we say, Jesus loves you, and you're like, I just don't know. This life is so crazy. Acting toward God means like, I'm going to receive it. I believe that. Jesus died and was resurrected. Acting toward God died and resurrected is to go, okay, well, then I'm just going to get right here because that's a big deal. It deserves me kneeling down. I'm going to act toward God. It's not fake to move your life and your body and your mind towards something. It's not fake. I've lost this quote by Eugene Peterson, but he says, in part, the reality of course, of this world is that God is sovereign and Christ is Savior. The reality is that prayer is my mother tongue, not English. And the Eucharist is my basic food, not tangible food. The reality is that baptism, where we were bought into a family and named by God, is our name, not Myers-Briggs. Jesus defines us, okay? Real quick, let me run through these. Worship is unamputated desire lived toward God. So a lot of us think, I can worship with my heart. I don't need my body, strength, mind. Some of you think, I'll worship with my mind. I don't need the other things. Fully orbed worship is heart, mind, soul, and strength. Worship is joining the song that already is in play where we join elders and angels and creation and the church invisible and visible. Worship is laying your life down where Jesus is at the center of everything. It's the way that we eat and drink and work. It's the way that we do dishes with, uh, without 
frowning because we know that there's something of the tangible life that we live that is worship because we're taking care of our home and our family. It's why I'm mostly pleased to sling a bag of trash over my back and take it out because there's something of worship that comes from my heart in serving my family and my home and my city. It brings my life around Jesus. Worship is countercultural breathing. It's, an, it's a different kind of inhale and exhale. It's a different kind of living out of God's identity and your becoming. It's a way of habit and embodiment of God's heart. It's how he forms us. It's how we're affectionate when he reorients our love. It's how he's transforming our imagination. It's how we use liturgical rhythms in our practice to point our love and desires to God. Worship is to marvel Worship is to wonder. Worship is mysterious. Worship is exploration. Worship is also silence when you have no more words to offer. That's some of the most powerful times when we're out of words and all we have left is our heart and God's heart. Sometimes it doesn't come in a thunder or in a whirlwind. Sometimes it comes in a whisper. And that is worship to sit quietly and listen Worship, this is big, for some of you who are suffering in the room and don't feel like you can sing a happy song. Worship is suffering. Our lives weeping and yelling to God can be our loudest song. Passion is not just desire, it's also the degree of difficulty we're willing to endure to get to our prize. Passion is desire and suffering. So whatever you're kicking and screaming against today, you might be fighting the wrong battle. Suffering leads us to Jesus. And I don't say that as a non-suffering person. I say that as one who suffers. I just want to invite you guys. In all your suffering, don't let it exclude you from the pursuit of the face of God. Again, Eugene Peterson says, worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. My refrain is, beholding the glory of the Lord, we're being changed into his image. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ We fall in love with and we become like what we behold. And so the invitation is, come again. Come and look at the face of Jesus. Lift your eyes. Don't start being smart and avoiding his eyes. Lift your eyes and say, God, I want to experience you in Jesus. My third point is, rooting in the abundance of God through singing is a soul feast. The reason why we sing in this place is powerful. It's not just because we sing. It's one of the weirdest things about the church. You don't see this much other places except a concert. And we're not putting on a concert. It's so strange. We come in here and the people are singing. What is going on? There's actually something beautiful going on. But when I was a kid, I remember, I remember we would sing a few songs and at the 6 o'clock service. And uh, the music director would say, can you believe we are going to do this in heaven all of our lives? And I thought, no way. 
That is going to be the worst. <laughs> oh, man. But if Jesus is in the middle of that singing, that changes everything. So here's uh, seven little words that help me. It's little metaphors that help me go, this is what's going on when we sing. When I played music and traveled around, I would say, everybody sing, let's hear you sing. And what I meant was, I'm not sure how I'm doing, so you guys get louder. What it is in this place, what it is we gather on Sunday, has profound power in it. Not just loud singing, but loud singing because of the following things. Singing is a soul feast. It's fire, number one, because it's delighting in God and God delighting in us. And this fire gets stoked and stoked as you sing. If you come in cold, if you'll start to sing, there's something in the actual presence of God that stokes that flame. Singing is like a missile. It's warfare against God and God's enemies and enemies of the gospel. It's warfare. It really is. If you're wondering, well, why, why are we singing today? Or I don't like this song. Or this or that. Or all the things that we find to complain about. Just sing. It's warfare. Singing is a, a window into God's heart. What he thinks about. How he feels. How he sees. What he wants. What he cries over. What he's angry over. You start to sing. and You, you can sometimes see a, a window into God's heart. Singing can be a megaphone to the gospel And the gospel is the power of God to save. Singing is liberation. You remember when Paul and Silas were singing in prison, they were set free. In singing, many of us are set free from various kinds of prisons, addictions, attachments, lies, poor feelings. Singing is a fountain. In his light, we see light. And lies are turned upside down. One of my favorite stories about the singing like a fountain and we should sing loud because of this is in a day I was depressed I went to church the six o'clock service downtown I slumped over in the back with a bad attitude and sad feelings and depression and one of our downtown homeless friends sits next to me and he starts singing the song louder than anyone in the church And by the smell of his breath, he had already kind of tasted some of the communion wine, and he just is singing loud, and I'm slumped over and sad, one of the pastors in the church. And he keeps singing, and that fountain is going off. And God's light is going off. And as he starts singing, I lift my head, and I start listening. And he keeps singing loud, and I sit up a little bit and he keeps singing loud and I start standing up again and by the end of it I'm singing those last two choruses with my hands up and I'm singing as loud as he is and he's got his arm around me and we're going a little bit back and forth it was pretty awesome awkward and awesome which I kind of thrive on awkward it makes me actually feel quite comfortable (laughs) guys when you sing loud in this place there are people in here that are slumped over and depressed and you don't look at them and go Why are they so depressed? You go, God, I'm going to sing these truths even louder. And I'm praying that this fountain goes off and falls over my friend's ears. Last one is 
homage. And it's just all those ancient postures of honor. I just briefly want to say, guys, we are a charismatic church. We really are. If you went through the membership class, you at least heard it. We don't all act like that, but we are a charismatic church. So there's freedom here to spread your arms, dance a little bit maybe. I don't, don't dance like this. <laughs> Kneel on the ground, shout. Any ancient posture that adores God and gives him honor is invited here. Be free. John Piper says, the fuel of worship is a true vision of the greatness of God. The fire that makes the fuel burn white hot is the quickening of the Holy Spirit. The furnace made alive and warm by the flame of truth is our renewed spirit. And the resulting heat of our affections is powerful worship, pushing its way out in confessions, longings, acclamations, tears, songs, shouts, bowed heads, lifted hands, and obedient lives. True worship is a way of gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth, My refrain is beholding the glory of the Lord. We're being changed into his image. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We fall in love with and become like what we behold. So your invitation is to look again at the face of Jesus and don't avoid his eyes. Real quick, four things. What I want for our church is that we'd be a people of desire. I mean, real desire. All kinds of desire floating around this room, but we would fight always to bring that desire back into Jesus. What I want for our church is that we'd be marked by the presence of God, that you'd see the the work of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God at work, the presence of God at work, healings, all the fruits of the Holy Spirit, of people being changed to look more like Jesus, salvation, elevated hunger and thirst, no more amputated desire, but more desire that's ordered toward Jesus. What I want for our church is that we'd move in this world as God's sons and daughters with his specific imprint moving through us, changing our world. And what I want for our church is a huge vision of God's beauty and immensity. And the only way that we can do that is to start and look at the face of Jesus and explore him and know him and everything that comes from him. And then you'll be amazed at the immensity of Jesus. It's a quote from the Little Prince. It says, If you want to build a ship... Don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Come be renewed in worship and let your heart say, one thing have I asked of the Lord, and this is what I want to seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord.